Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Our dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much, O oh God, that you know exactly what we need to hear, that you have something to say, and that you're gracious enough to communicate your thoughts to us. Some of us feel unworthy, some of us feel guilty, some of us feel just tired, some of us are excited, and there are a whole host of emotions. Lord, would you suspend those emotions for a minute? Speak light and life into our minds and hearts, Lord. Let this uh, passage of scripture really give us clarity of your, your purposes for our lives, especially in the area of marriage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome. We are working through the letter of Peter. Yes? In a series called Pain to Praise. And this is what your notes should look like. It is literally just the scriptures broken down in breaks where we are going to be talking about it. If you don't have, just raise your hands and someone will bring notes to you. If you have a pen, note taking is a lot more effective. Okay? And we're working through the letter of Peter written to the Jewish believers in exile. I want to know that you're with me on that. Who is the letter to? Jewish believers in exile. That's the context. That's the audience. Peter is writing to these guys. And what he's saying is, you are Jewish believers in exile under Roman regime, which means you're going to be intermarried. You're going to be married to a believer, unbeliever. People are becoming believers and their husband or their wife has not yet become a believer. There's all sorts of different kind of situations there. Uh, the men are much more in, you know, uh, valued in that community. We're talking about that particular age. And then women are a lot less taken seriously in that age. We've got a whole lot of situations that create a context for us that Peter is speaking into. We've been exploring the subject of submission in the face of injustice. Do you remember that? We're just revising here. Submission in the face of injustice. When things are not fair, will I still submit? When things are not good, will I still submit? When things are not going in my direction, when it is time to fight, will I hold back? What is my trust? What is my confidence that God, as I put him on top and do as he says, as I submit myself, that God will be supreme in all matters? So, because... I submit myself or sub subjection in the, in the submission in the face of injustice because that affirms God's supreme authority <coughs> and frees me from the bondage of bitterness or self-pity. So if I go with it and I just keep thinking about how unjust life is, how terrible life is, how unjust my marriage is or unjust my spouse is, etc., etc., I will become a bond slave of bitterness or of self pity. And I want to free myself from that by submitting to God's plan, to God's authority in my life. That was chapter 2, chapter 3. We're done with that. You've got the notes in your hands. Now we're in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. Today we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But before I begin, before I get started, I want to make some clarifications and make some revision. Okay? I want you to listen very carefully. I want to make some clarifications and some revisions. Peter, firstly, is speaking to a Jewish audience during exile, Roman regime. He has been on the theme of submission in the face of injustice and unreasonable demand. He's not suddenly out of context in chapter 3 decided to talk about marriage and shoot out at women. 
as some would like to put it that way. He's writing a letter, and in a letter there are no chapters. In a letter there are no chapters. You didn't write a letter to anybody in chapters, right? It is, it's a flow. He's got something on his mind. He has something about who he's talking to. His audience is clear. His context is clear. And if we move out of that context, we are going to, you know, we're not, we're not going to do justice to the text, firstly. And secondly, that's what Peter wants to get across to us, right? So Peter is speaking to a Jewish audience that is struggling with submission in the face of injustice. Let me also add, believers here at this point that are listening to Peter's uh, instructions are confused. They're confused about the situations within that context. They've got believing spouses, unbelieving spouses, leave the believing spouse, unbelieving spouse, not to leave the unbelieving spouse. Do I submit or should I not submit? Should I fight back or should I not fight back? You got, you got a contextual problem here and they're trying to figure out in this context as a believer, what should I do? Everybody with me so far? Got it. Six verses to women, one verse to men. Six verses to women, one verse to men. Why? Because women faced greater opp oppression opposition. Women face greater oppression for their faith as their conversion was seen as a defiance. You got a couple, a married couple, and the wife becomes a believer, decides to follow Jesus. That was seen as a defiance to everything that the man stood for and for. So women had it much harder to become believers than men did. When a man became a believer, he would just take his family in that direction. She would just have to do as he's told in that given context. There wasn't so much of a problem there, but women struggled more. So therefore, there is therefore greater encouragement and instruction for the women. Six verses to women, one verse to men. Men, you're going to find this message today very, very difficult. Brace yourselves. Women face greater oppression. The result could be life-threatening if you became a believer. At worst, abusive. At worst, or at best, abusive. You with me so far? Let me tell you one more thing. These people living in that context were facing persecution on a daily basis for their faith. Okay? They were being beaten for their faith. They were being tortured and persecuted for their faith. And in that moment, in that context, they're saying, Peter, what should we do? As believers, what should we do? These are committed believers, devoted followers of the Lord Jesus, who have paid, Lord Jesus, who have paid a high cost to follow Christ and wanted some clarity on what the right thing was to do in their context. They want to obey Christ. These women wanted to worship and obey and honor Christ. These men wanted to put Jesus higher. This teaching applies to those genuine Christian spouses who have in against all odds and no matter what the cost decided to put Jesus first in their life. Christian marriage is a union of two such people, two disciples of Christ. Christian, or rather disciples of Christ, marry disciples of Christ so that Christ can be Lord of marriage on earth. Let me bring this home. Christian marriage is the union of two disciples, not because you got married in church. I'm just clarifying things before we get into 1 Peter chapter 3. 
dedicated at all costs to serving his purposes for marriage. They submit to Christ in their personal lives first. And then they come together with a holy sanctity, recognizing that this union is what God wants on earth before they get to heaven. And they understand that marriage is God's idea and was designed to make us holy, not personally happy. Marriage was to make us holy, not personally happy. Marriage is not for our personal happiness, but for our personal holiness. God takes a man and a woman, puts them in close proximity to each other. So you see every wart and dark alley of the person. You see them in the morning, you see them at night, at their worst and at their best. And you are the best and first witness to their lives. And you are able to help them, two people helping each other, become more like Jesus Christ. That is a Christian marriage. If two self-centered, manipulative Self-seeking people get together, get married in a church and desire to bring, to get happiness out of that relationship. Look for someone whom they think they will make, they will make them happy. And they go into the marriage thinking, this marriage, when I get married, is going to be happy. Everything they do is about getting that person to make me happy. And that destroys a marriage because that was not God's idea of marriage. Number two, marriage is God's idea. Not the man's idea, not the woman's idea. Marriage is God's definition. He decided this. He created marriage right up front, right in the beginning, right for his will. Marriage is not to be defined by a government or by laws. Marriage is not defined by the LGBT community or any community. Marriage is God's idea. When God created, he created marriage first. He created them man and woman, male and female. He didn't create man, uh, okay, woman. He created marriage, first of all. Shut me down, I'm going to get excited even more now. Okay? He created man and woman and he brought them together in a holy matrimony. And Jesus was going to be very much part of that first marriage as well. And when he speaks to women, he's dead serious about what he says. When he speaks to man, he's dead serious about what he says. Because on earth, he's setting a system, he's setting a, a context, he's setting a picture of something that is in heaven. And when something that is spiritual comes together, he's creating a physical connect. He's creating a physical connect. And we'll talk about that uh, as we go forward. Are you all with me so far? Good. Good. So it is to make us holy. It is to make us holy. That in the close proximity, God would mold a man and mold a woman to, the, to, to perfect the image of God in the person of Christ. One more thing. I am not targeting anyone personally. I am not targeting anyone personally. If you say, Pastor, am I speaking to you? Of course, I'm are you speaking to me? Of course, I'm speaking to you. Am I speaking to only you? No. You're not that special. Okay? And when I come to a text, I will preach it as it is. Because I'm more scared of Jesus than you. Okay? Here's the passage of scripture. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. Likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing of you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women of, of old hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as 
Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers should not be hindered. Are you ready? Let's dive in. He says in verse 1, likewise wives. He says in verse 7, likewise husbands. Got it? So you have to ask, likewise, like what? Like what, like what wise? Okay? So you've got to go back to the previous verses. You've got to go back to what he's talking. He's talking to slaves. Slaves, when things are, are unjust, submit. S servants, when things are unjust, that is, uh, when employees, employment is unjust, if your bosses are unjust, situation is unjust, submit. In any given situation where you don't know what to do as a believer, submit. When you submit, you put God on top. In the same vein, same context, same mood, same theme, he then moves to wives. Wives, when your marriage is, uh, is unfair, when your husband is unfair, when life is unfair, submit. Men, when you, you think your life is unfair, when you got a bad deal and you don't think life is good, submit. Got it? Same context. Don't rip that out of context or make anything else out of it. We will do the passage injustice, do Peter injustice. Let's start. Likewise, wives. Like slaves, like servants, both previous examples. He says, likewise, wives, be subject. Be subject. Not a new concept. We've been talking about it. To be subject is to yield or to be under authority. The word yield happens at the Delhi roundabout when you come to the roundabout on the, on the traffic. And when you come to, into the roundabout, you have to yield to traffic on your right. That's yielding. Let that, let, let, let that person go first. They have right of way. Uh, come under authority means that God has set authority in every forum of society. There's authority in the government. He's covered that. There's authority in the workplace. He's covered that. There's authority in the church. He's covered that. There's authority in the home. He's covering that. Wherever God rules, there must be a blanket of authority. He appoints and gives that authority to one person or one situation or one council, and that authority is to be lived under. To live under authority is to live an, exam an examined life. To live under authority is to live like you can be questioned, and that's okay. To live under authority is to be able to take no for an answer. To live under authority is to know that you are not the final boss of your life. There are greater authorities that you are answerable to. And if God has set those authorities in place, we take that very seriously. Okay, move forward. Likewise, wives, be subject to whom? To whom? To your circle own, circle husbands. Circle own, circle husbands. How many husbands have you got? One. That's whom you're going to be submissive to. Don't be submissive to other people's husbands. That's easier. You be, you be submissive to your own husbands. Second word is husbands husbands. Nowhere in scripture, not in this verse or any other verse from Genesis to maps, does the Bible say women be submissive to men. It is not saying that the woman should be submissive to man. It's not saying women should be submissive to men. It's saying that a wife should be submissive to a husband. It's talking about marriage, not men and women. Not sexes, not genders, or identity or value. It's talking about marriage. And God has every right to talk about marriage. He designed it. Okay? Be subject to your own husband. So God, as soon as you get a husband, is going to give that husband certain responsibilities. And we'll thrash it out in verse 7. One verse. You been there? This morning you don't remember? Oh, you left. They were sweating. One verse. Don't worry about it. We'll cover more than six verses. But... 
when he gives you a husband, he's going to pack him with certain assignments and authority, and he wants to pull that off. So you are to be in subordination to what God would have in your marriage through your husband. Am I clear? We're not talking about whims and fancies. We're not talking about be subject to him as a man so that whatever he wants in every given situation. And remember, who is he talking to? He's talking about unfair situations to a believer who's in a marriage, and that is a, specifically to a woman. A woman disciple of Christ. A female disciple. She says, I'm married. Lord, what should I do in this given situation? He's like, go ahead and submit. Go ahead and submit. Women, or other wives, sorry, not women. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Not all men, not any men but your own husband. Why? Why? And when you answer the question why, you'll know uh, what, the, what the weight of that uh, command is. Why? So that, circle that, so that even if some do not obey the word, circle word, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, they may be one over without a word, circle the other word and cross the two. They may be one without a word. Now look at me. Let's work through this. Okay? Women talk a lot. And they express a lot. And he's saying this. If you want to win this guy, if you want to win this guy, even if he's not obedient to the word, that means he's not a believer. He's not a believer. So you are married to an unbeliever. He be, you became a believer. He is still not a believer. So you're married to an unbeliever. Even if he is not obedient to the word, he will be won over without a word. Your word. Even if he's not obedient to his word, he will be won over without your word just from your conduct. Just from your conduct. By the conduct of their wives. What are you saying, God? You're saying that my submission can change a man? Yeah. And you don't even have to say anything. Half the women in the world, I'm like, wow, I'm going to try that. Your submission can change a man. You can bring him to his knees before Christ. Yes, it can. Have you ever tried that as a weapon, submission? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever taken God at his word and say, you know what, God? everybody's talking to me about this. What do you have to say about it? Let me just trust you once on this and see where it goes. See where it goes. By their conduct, by the conduct of their wives. And he explains conduct in two ways. He explains conduct in two ways. But here's the thing. The goal is to put on display Christian character. Don't miss this. The goal is to put on display Christian character as a contrast to unbelievers to witness the light of Christ. Putting God on top. So how is a believing wife to con be contrasted with an unbelieving wife in that same given situation? That woman would fight it. She'd, you'd just, she'd, she'd get her cause done. She would go for it. She would, and, the, and the believer over here is putting God on top of her marriage saying, God, he may be him, but you are Lord of this home. And I'm going to submit to you. Demonstrated it to him so that he would also come into submission through you. Just pure conduct. Pure conduct. Two things. Two things. Peter says, in these two ways, your conduct will become visible to him. Which two ways? Number one, defined by behavior. Number two, defined by beauty. Number one, defined by behavior. Number two, defined by beauty. Here's defined by behavior. Verse two. When they, who's the they? Unbelieving husbands. The unbelieving husband. When they, the unbelieving husband, 
see, not hear, see. Two things. Number one, your respectful conduct and your pure conduct. Your respectful conduct and your pure conduct. Do this for me, Jesus is saying. Do this for me. You want to be, show that you're a follower of, of me? You want to show that, you, that I am Lord of your life? Do this for me. He says, you do this for me, they're going to see it. What are they going to see? They're going to see your respectful conduct. My dear sisters, you don't respect because of who he is. You respect because of who you are. Get it. I say it again. You don't respect because of who he is. He's not worthy of my respect. He doesn't get my respect. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, we know. We all, all of us know. All of us guys know that we are not worthy of anybody's respect. Deep in our hearts, we know. Hindi teacher, teacher told us at third grade only. We know. We are living with the fact that we don't know why anybody respects us. Yet our greatest goal in life is to get everybody's respect, which is a dilemma in and of itself. So you're not respecting him for who he is. You're respecting him because you are respecting you're a respectful person. You're a respectable person. You respect for him, not, not for him, but for you. Number two, with your pure conduct. Pure means uncontaminated. Pure water is uncontaminated water. Pure conduct is you got nothing wrong on you. You got nothing wrong on you. Who are we talking to? Believers in an un, un, unjust situation. You make sure that no, nothing can be pinned on you as far as behavior is concerned. As far as your words are concerned, nothing can be pinned on you. You do what's right in the given situation. Are you with me? Did you get that? What are the two things? Number one, respect. Number two, pure conduct. Got it? Your conduct should be pure. Your respect should be as unto the Lord. You put those two and that is the definition of your behavior. Do you talk respectfully to your husband? Don't answer that. Because I already know. Do you talk respectfully to your husband? Do you behave respectfully in your conduct? Can you be sure as you stand before God and you point all ten fingers and toes in his direction? As you do that, can you be sure that you are absolutely clean? Because some women go on like as if Jesus is not looking at their lives at all. And all their behavior and all their words and all their moods and everything, every swing in this direction and that direction is completely justifiable from some God-forsaken perspective. You re they really believe that deep in their heart. As I stand there looking at my wife, I'm like, do you not know God exists? He's watching you right now. So you do it because of Christ and Christ watching you, defined by behavior. Got that? Number two, defined by beauty. Beauty. God created women beautiful, not men. Put that lipstick away. It's not a lighter. God created women to be beautiful. God created, when he creates something and it's beautiful, he knows he's creating something beautiful. When he does a sunset, he's like, yeah, baby. When he's creating mud, he's not creating mud and beautiful. He's creating something to grow out of that. He did mud and says grow. And you got the most beautiful thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of species of the same green plant. They're still counting. They're still counting. And the bees and the bugs and the colors. and the, they, got, they got into one billion colors on the newest, newest phone. And they're still counting. They can't top this creator. 
God. So when God creates something beautiful, you know the guy's going to go, whoa, man. Get it? Whoa. God created you beautiful. You are beautiful. And he wanted you to be beautiful. And he made you beautiful. And it wasn't a mistake. But there's a don't let and but let. Right? Verse, verse 3 says do not let. And verse 4 says but let. Right? Do not let your adorning be external. That's ESV. But your NKJV says merely. Only. So you're going to have to write merely and then circle it. Because it's not in ESV. But is there an NKGV or any other thing you can do? So do not, do not let your adorning be merely external. Got it? So God is saying you are beautiful outside and on the... In, I have created you beautiful outside. Listen, women, you're not listening. You're not listening. You're too busy circling merely. God created you beautiful on the inside and some husbands never get to see it. God created you beautiful on the outside and on the inside. You are beautiful on the outside and on the inside. But do not let your adorning be merely external. Braiding of hair, putting on a gold jewelry, clothing, accessories. Go for it. Just go for it. You're beautiful. You want to add to that. You want to shake it up. You want to Photoshop. You do what you like. You do what you like. God's with you. He's with you. If the house needs painting, paint it. You know what I'm saying? But don't let that adorning be only that adorning. Work on the internal adorning because God knows both you and your makeup won't last. Both you and your makeup won't last. Every beautiful woman has a certain period where she herself begins to feel that she doesn't look good on the outside. But if your focus is on being beautiful on the inside, it won't matter to you. It won't matter to you that you're... A, don't hear what I'm not saying. It won't matter to you that your external beauty is fading. It won't matter to you. It won't freak you out. It won't send you into convulsions. As you get beautiful on the inside, your husband will fall more and more in love with the inside beauty of you than the outside beauty of you. That's why we have some of these couples who are like 123 years old and madly in love with each other. You think he likes wrinkles? <laughs> what, do you, what did you think? You think he likes wrinkles? No, that, that, there's, and some of these grandmothers, you know, they're so beautiful. They're just, they're older, they're like one foot in heaven, and they're just so, they're, 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 you, you could feel their spirit. You could, and you know godly women like that. You know, you know godly women like that. Both my mother and my uh, mother-in-law are both amazing women like that. I have that in my own life. So, do not let your adorning be merely external. I found that there's a problem with uh, that whole area of external beauty. And it is flipped around. Now, here's, here's the thing. In our marriage today, in our marriages today, in our life and society today, everything has to do with external beauty. Everything is flipped around. We are now dolling up the woman to get the husband. And after you're married, (coughs) 
What happened? What happened? It's like, I don't care now. I don't care now. And there's no concept that you are his crowning glory. You are his crowning glory. I don't want to be anywhere. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Come on. But God created you to be a crowning glory for your husband. For your husband. Let me bring it home. In the olden days, very olden days, they dogified the, the virgins, the young women, the unmarried women. They completely covered her up. And when she got married, then she was his crowning glory. And then she was dressed up, apparelled, accessorized. And she was just the glory of the husband. He would take her everywhere. Okay? Today, all the dress up, all the, you know, shake up, everything is happening before the marriage. And instead of getting one husband, they're getting four. And after they get married, they just give up on the whole thing. And some look like they've gone through a car wash. Not any of you. I've seen in my life. So the young woman I'm saying, have somebody that you want to dress up for. And until you find, have somebody, let it be Jesus. And Jesus looks on the inside. So work on your inner beauty. Your inner beauty is what really matters. Your outer beauty will get you a husband. Your inner beauty will keep your husband. Do not let your external adoring merely be what you are worried about. Verse 4, but let your adorning be two things. Let your adorning be two things. Number one, the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. The real you. An inner beauty that shines through. Let your husband be the closest witness to your life. Be able to see after knowing you inside out. You're a beautiful woman. That's the beauty only your husband can really see. Jesus and your husband. That's the, the one who lives with you every day, wake up to you, wakes up to you every morning, goes to sleep with you every night. The one who sees you in your best of days and your worst of days. He needs to see how beautiful you are. He's the one who will see how beautiful. You can put on an act for everybody else. You can dress up for everybody else. But for your husband, you can't do that. They will see your real beauty. Work on that beauty, Peter is saying. Work on that beauty, Peter is saying. Peter, my husband is an unbeliever. And he's looking at all sorts of other women. And here I am in this situation and my beauty is fading. What should I do? He says, work on your inner beauty. Work on it. Even an unbelieving husband would rather be married to you than the most beautiful woman outside. Don't let but let. Don't let but let. Verse 3 and 4. Number one, the hidden person of the heart. How, do, how should your adorning be? Number two, with the imperishable beauty. The imperishable beauty of what? A gentle and a quiet spirit. Three things. Imperishable beauty of what? Gentle and quiet spirit. Circle imperishable. What does that mean? Incorruptible. What does that mean? It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. Here's the deal. Your outside beauty, fading. Inside beauty, not fading. So can you become more beautiful between 20 and 30? Can you become more beautiful between 30 and 40? Answer, yes, you can. Work on that beauty. How do you dress that inner person? How do you dress that inner man? A gentle spirit and a quiet spirit. A godly woman is a woman who handles gently situations and people that come her way. 
She's gentle in the way she responds. By the way, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. You know that, right? Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. A gentle spirit. Go study that. Talk about it in your uh, women's groups. And number two, the quiet spirit. A quiet spirit. The opposite of loud. Cankering, loud, screaming, shouting. Everything is on top of your voice. Everybody's ducking for cover. Husband doesn't want to come inside the house, waiting outside until the noise goes down. Children are hiding under the sofa. Yes, I know I'm taking it from the sitcoms, but that's where they did, you know, dramatize real life. And you think loudness will win you that respect? Loudness will show that inner beauty? I don't think so. Quiet and gentle. Quiet and gentle. But it's not fair until I let these people know what they're in. No, 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 no. Let God do that. Let God do that. Why? Because this is precious in God's sight. Look at the next line. This is precious in God's sight. My dear sisters, live for God's eyes. Let God find you beautiful, tell you you're beautiful every day. Let him be the one who says and tells you that you're growing beautiful. And he's going to use your husband to tell you that as well when I get to verse 7. Okay? Which in God's eyes is beautiful. Work on pleasing God's eyes. Work on your inner beauty. For this is how, then he gives a corporate example and he gives an individual uh, uh, example. He gives a corporate example. This is how the holy women of old, the holy women of old who hoped in God, their hope was in God, their focus was on God, their, their, their trust was in God, their submission was to God's authority. Holy women of old who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. By submitting to their own husbands being under their authority. That's how they hoped in God. That's how they showed that their trust was in God. I don't think you're getting this. How does a woman show that her faith is in God in a given situation that is unreasonable and, and unjust? With a husband who's unreasonable and unjust. How does a woman show her faith in God? By submitting. Her submission shows, as holy women of old, that she adorned herself with that gentleness, with that quiet spirit, and with that imperishable beauty. This is how they did it. They submitted to their own husband. Today, we have a struggle with that because you get married with the wrong perspective. You get married like the world gets married. Two people want to be happy. They find someone who's going to make them happy. And you get, I married my lover. I married my soulmate. I married my, 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 my best friend. Yeah, sure, good, great. That's fantastic. How are you going to submit to your best friend? How are you going to submit to your lover? The whole concept of going into marriage itself disallows you to actually do what God has called you to do. But when you go into marriage, listen to me ladies, especially those of you who are going to get married. When you go into marriage with the holy and fearful understanding that marriage is not about you, marriage is not about happiness, marriage is about holiness and God wants you married so that you can become like Jesus and is going to put a guy in your life to make you like Jesus. Not to make you happy, to make you like Jesus. God's going to give you somebody who he trusts who will make you like Jesus. But you don't wait for him. You, look, you marry your best friend or your lover or your soulmate or some nonsense like that. And then when he doesn't meet your needs or when he doesn't meet your expectations, you go into it with the wrong perspective. When you go into marriage with the right perspective that marriage is God's idea, I don't need to be married. For everything else you want, love, sex, you know, have fun, party, honor, you don't need marriage. The world can show you that. You don't need marriage for that. You, you need marriage for us to become like Jesus. It's God's idea. God's got copyright on marriage. Don't you dare touch it. No matter who you are, what you are. And no man can come between. 
They can't submit. They cannot do that because it's not the context within which they came into marriage. But when you understand, God, would you give me a man who loves you and is completely de dedicated and devoted to you, someone who worships you and puts you first, would you give me someone like that so that my life can come under your authority and you give me that cover of your authority, your protection and your provision. Lord, give me someone like that. Give me that cover and I will submit. Not to him, but to you. But the guy must come from you. You pray that for most of your life, God's going to give you that man. You'll find him from don't know where. But God's going to give you that man. But when you look for the person who makes you feel good, 10 years later he doesn't make you feel good. You're going to look for another guy who makes you feel good. So no wonder they can't, they struggle with the idea of submission. Submission is spiritual. It's spiritual. If you're struggling with submission, you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit in you. It's, it's, it's a spiritual quality. The ability to, to bow. The ability to bow. The ability to stand up is a physical thing. The ability to bow is a spiritual thing. Only godly women can do this. This is not something I'm telling everybody to do. I'm telling you what godly women do. Peter's saying this is what the holy women of old did. This is, this is what godliness looks like. Submission is a spiritual thing in the context of a spiritual relationship when both are spiritual. Marriage is a spiritual union. But Peter, what do I do if my husband is not a believer? In that case, you submit. God will bring him to his knees. Marriage is a spiritual union with a physical connect. I want you to hear me carefully. Marriage is a spiritual union with a physical connect. You engage, you lock up on the physical realm, but the union is a spiritual union. And it's not two people, it's you, me, and Jesus. It's three. And here's what marriage is really all about. God says, just like the church, people on earth are going to come into union with me through Christ. I want a picture of Jesus and the church on earth. So I'm going to create, this is all before the foundation of the earth. So I'm going to create a man and a woman, not two genders, but two people who will complement each other physically. So that on the physical level, let me give them something to enjoy. Something that bonds them together. Because after you have sex, you are bonded. Trust me on that one. And once, once they come together on a physical level, there will be on a physical level an example and a reflection of their intimacy and union that is on a spiritual level. Now here's what you and I do. We forget the whole spiritual level and we go straight further physical level in which case all sex all sex without a spiritual union all sex out of marriage is wrong you can do it with whoever you want or with whatever you want it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong now here's the good news if you have sinned and if there has been sin in your life take it to the cross leave it at the foot of the cross come back to the communion table uh, Acknowledge God's forgiveness of your life and start afresh. God give you a fresh start. Not over and over again. We'll give you a fresh start. God can clean you. God can make you feel forgiven and clean. And God can make you feel new again. So when I say it's a sin, I'm not saying it's your sin. I'm saying it's a sin. Are you with me? Are you with me? We all sin in all different directions. That's okay. We all fail in all different directions. Many of our, our relationships have failed. But... That is not the point here. The point of the matter is that we want to elevate, we want to exalt what is of God and what is for God. Are you with me on that? Are you with me on that? 
Just because I don't reach that standard doesn't mean I should have it, shouldn't have it as a standard. Got it? Got it? So you don't bring the standard down so that it can be achievable. We leave the standard up there because it reflects God more than it reflects me. And when sex is misused and abused, when sex is only on the physical level, don't call it love. Call it lust. Call it lust. All sex outside of marriage, all sex before marriage is, is lust. It's lust taking its final thing. I'm, I'm not saying, just don't justify it. Just don't justify it. But call it lust. It's not love. Love is sacrifice. Love is being willing to love only that one woman. Love only that one man. Love is being willing to submit to what God has for you. Love is being willing to be committed to the long haul. Love is being willing to, to know that, that God has ordained this and God is in this. So when you have a spiritual union, the physical connect completes that union and brings about the oneness of God in me and you. And that must not be messed with. Have I exalted marriage enough? Yes? Okay, very good. That's the beauty of the spiritual connect under the, sp sp uh, the, the physical connect under the spiritual union. You gave me a, a corporate example. Give me a personal example. Sarah. Sarah, a woman of old. Do you remember Sarah? She's Mrs. Abraham. Yeah, Sarah Abraham. Sarah Abraham obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Ooh, what is that all about? Well, Lord means master. Master means she recognizes his authority in the home. And if she recognizes it, tell me if, this, if you agree with this. If she recognizes, she's the woman of the home. She's his wife. She's the queen of the house. She's the first lady. If she recognizes and gives him his due, will everybody else fall in line? You bet. You bet. Who is the one who actually applies his authority onto the whole of the smallest social unit, the family? Who is the ones whose submission becomes the example for the children to respect the father? For the cousins and the servants to respect the, the, the man of the house. It is all in the hands of this one person. And look at Sarah. She called her husband her Lord, okay? Then what happened? And you are her children. You are her children if you do two things. If you do good and do not fear. If you do good and do not fear. Uh, Peter, what are you talking about? Well, you are her children. That sounds familiar. Remember Romans chapter 4? He says, if you have faith, you are like Abraham's children. Remember that parallel? Now he says, if you, that is faith, if you have hope in God, for women of old who hoped in God, if you have hope in God, that God will take care of the outcome when I submit, that God will overpower this fellow and, and, and even if he's unreasonable or whatever, when your hope is in God, you are her children if you hope in God. You show that, that you are her children if you do good. That is, you rightly submit to God's authority that has been placed over you. And number two, you do not fear anything that is frightening. You do not fear everything. What on earth is that all about? He says, if you're, an un, if you're a believer, married to an unbeliever, he can throw you out. He can throw you in jail. He can uh, report you for defiance. He can make life miserable for you. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened about the outcome of submitting to me. Submitting to me is the least of your problems. That's when you're safest. That's when you are most in control of your life when you submit to me. That is a given principle for every area of our life more than anything in this particular one. Do not fear anything. Circle anything, especially you ladies. Circle anything. So afraid you are of what will happen. You think that his idiosyncrasies can really turn things on. God's in control. Circle anything. Do not fear anything that is frightening. 
Who are we talking to? Who is Peter talking to? He's talking to wives. If you are not married, he's not talking to you. If you're not a committed disciple of Jesus, he's not talking to you. This is not possible. He's talking to women who are married to a man. All right, okay. So that's... Men, are you ready? I just need one hour. Just need one hour. I'm going to take my time because you don't get to this passage very often. Yeah? Can I, can I have five minutes? I just need five minutes. Husbands. Likewise, like the wife, like the slave, like the servant, anyone in the given situation where life seems unfair, you submit. Okay? But as you look at the text, you're like, where? Submit to what? Who? And there's no submission here. I'll show you. I'll show you. That is what I'm here for. Likewise, husbands. Note the likewise. Live with your wives, two ways. Live with your wives, with understanding, in an understanding way, and show honor, show honor to her. Live with your wives in an understanding way. So you got a Roman man or you got a, or a Jewish man, both of them think that they are God's gift to earth. Okay, both of them think that the, the wife is a property. Both of them think that women are, they, I will take a wife unto myself. Grandfather's dog sex. I will take a wife. So he says, you just because you are not happy with the situation, just because you are not happy with her behavior or her beauty or her fading, whatever, just because you are not okay with how things are right now, that doesn't mean you change the, the, the rules. Marriage belongs to me. You're married. Submit. You're married. You submit. You report to me. You look at me. You don't look at her. You look at me. Son, you look at me. I have given you a wife. You look at me. First thing you've got to do is live with her in an understanding way. Why? Because you don't have any understanding. I didn't say understanding, I didn't say understand her. His two lives will go off trying to do that. Don't, he didn't say, because God himself doesn't. What he's saying is live in an understanding way. You be amiable. You live in understanding. You be, you be amiable. You be soft. You be willing to change. You be because more, most guys in that age and today, look at me, listen to me. Uh-uh, look at me, listen to me. Most guys in that age and today, we are a law unto ourselves. There may be government, there may be, you know, BJP, there may be Congress, there may be everything, but I am the president of my life. I run my life. And you walk about as if this is your earth. You walk about as if it's your life. And you have made your decisions on everything. You think and it's done. You don't discuss anything. You don't talk to anything about it. You think and it's done. And if you feel that way, that's it. And if it came out of your mouth, it's the truth. You don't want to, you know, men will not be held accountable. Men will not bow. So he says, you have to live in an understanding way. You've got to be moldable. You've got to be moldable. Why? Because until I gave you a wife, you were on your own. You did your own thing. But now that I've given you a wife, you are responsible for the most precious thing on earth to me, that is the representation of the church. She is the representation of the church. She is the representation of Christ's bride, my son's bride, my daughter-in-law. She is the representation on earth and I'm giving her to you and if you don't understand her, then you report to me directly. That's the submission. What do you want to understand, God? What should I understand? Number one, she's a woman. I already knew that. She's a woman. She's going to think differently to you 
So you have to don't think like a woman, but understand that she thinks differently, feel differently, and act differently. The world will say, get in touch with your feminine side to understand women. Rubbish. You have no feminine side. This is the word of the Lord. You have no feminine side. If you have a feminine side, She is a woman. She thinks differently. She feels differently. She acts differently. You are to live in an understanding way. You are not living with another guy. You're living with a woman. You're living with somebody who is changeable and who got, has her imperfections and her set of issues. You have to live with her. In a, you, I'm going to teach you how to love. I'm going to teach you how to forgive. I'm going to teach you how to protect. Number two, she processes life differently. She processes life differently. You think and it's done. She wants to discuss. She wants to talk. She understands that she's a completion of you. So she does everything with regard. And this is how God has designed a woman to complete a marriage. When she comes to you and she, she, she wants to discuss it, wants to express it, wants to work it out with you. She is not competing with you, brother. She is completing you. She is not your competition. She is not there to poke fun at you or to tell you how you have failed. She may say it that way. Because that's what she's been taught all along. And she thinks that that's the most effective communi communication. But if your eyes are on Jesus, you will live in an understanding way. That is, you will understand that what she is trying to do is the good for the marriage. God has created women to succeed marriage, not to fail it. She has fears and she has insecurities. She has fears and she has insecurities. I am making you her strength. Her refuge, her rampart. I'm making you her. So she will live in submission. And she will understand that God has given you to her as her protection. That means your radars are supposed to be up. And you need to pick up when there is a danger coming close to her. You are the one who should help her abate her fears. And God forbid you are one of her fears. When she's scared of you, when wives are scared of their own husbands... That's just wrong. That bleeds the heart of God. She's a woman. She processes life differently. She has fears and insecurities. She wants to be a partner. She doesn't want to fly solo. You want to fly solo. She wants to fly with you. So she's going to look at how to fly with you. If she wants to fly solo, then she's just using you. She wants to be your partner. She needs, to, she needs expressions of assurance and value. You don't need expressions. You need stuff. I want my car, I want my, uh, my salary, I want pat on the back, I want medal, I want this so that everybody respects me, gives me honor. Yeah, 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 that's how you feel good about yourself. She feels good, she feels strong, she feels secure when she gets expressions from you, from you, from you. Let me explain. Let me explain. All of you are sitting here, why? You are the bride of Christ and you have come to hear his voice so that you can live this coming week in victory, in strength and in quiet confidence. Correct? Why Jesus? Why do you want to hear from Jesus? Because you're his bride. Because we are his bride. And it must come from the husband's mouth. Then only I know that I'm safe. I must know that I'm loved. I must know that I'm forgiven. I must know that he has not left me. He's not looking anywhere else. And that he is, that I belong to him. Jesus affirms that to us, you and me, every Sunday, every day, every morning I send you a, a WhatsApp to make, let you know that Jesus is saying you are mine. Okay? It doesn't matter how many other guys post it or like her posts. 
It doesn't have matter what. The husband has to tell, speak, open your mouth and express assurance and express love to your wife. It means more coming from your mouth. Seriously, my mouth? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I also understand. I don't know. Why you? All the other times, everything else you say is absolute rubbish. But when it comes out of your mouth and goes to her, it means the world to her. You've got to understand the husband builds the wife. He speaks life over her. Just like Jesus speaks life over the church. Quiet husbands, you're not proving anything. You're not proving anything. You're just being unloving. Go to Jesus and say, I don't know what to say to her. I don't know when to say it. Bolti Jesus will give you an answer. Jesus will give you, let me give you advice that you will never forget in your whole life. Where do you learn to be a good husband, a godly husband? From whom do you learn to be a good husband, a godly husband? Not your dad. Not your grandfather. And definitely not your mother. You learn to be a good and godly husband from the only one and good godly husband and that is Jesus. So if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you have no, you have no shot at being a good husband. That's why the woman is supposed to pray that the husbands be... Get close to Jesus. How do you get close to Jesus? By submitting. I know it doesn't make sense. But that's what he says. Brothers, live in an understanding way. Being considerate. Think. Consideration is a logical thing. You think. Think about her. Think about what she's going through. She completes you. You are not two singles on a cake. You remember those two things on top of the cake? You're not two singles on a cake. You are now one. You're now one. Men struggle to think as one with their wife. You have to think. Number two, show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Before you women get all worked up about the word weaker, circle weaker and circle honor and connect those two. When God says honor something, and when God says to a man to honor someone, which is the only time God has ever told to honor someone, this is important. When God says honor Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Why? Why? Because she has been created for another purpose. She has been created for another function. You have been created to rule, to dominate, to, to provide, to protect, to hunk, hung, uh, to hunt. You have been, I created you and sent you out into the woods. I created you and sent you out into the wild open. But she is soft. Look at the woman. Look at, look at, look at the form of a woman. It is created beautiful and soft. It is created for nurture, to love and to look after a child, to bring children into the world. It is created to, 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 to nurture. A woman is soft. A woman, and, and that when he says the word weaker, it's just not translated beautifully. It, it, it's a softer version, a gentler version of Adam. And you are to give strength over her because she has been created soft because she's going to give you children who are strong like you. She's going to give you children. She's going to look after your home. And when she's soft and in her home and looking after your children, you jolly well put up an umbrella of protection and a rampart over your home and you protect your home. You provide for your home and you protect your home. She can go to work and she can earn, but God's going to hold you responsible for the food on the table. She can put guards outside and she can, she can learn karate, but God's going to hold you accountable for her protection. If she feels vulnerable, it's your fault. If she feels scared of any fear in her life, you are not doing what God has called you to do. And now we get to the difficult part. 
Now we get to the difficult part. To accomplish all of this, God has given you his authority. Not just authority, but his authority. God has given you his authority in order to pull this off. Which means demons can't go against you, it's God's authority. Other men can't go against you, it's God's authority. Satan can't go against you, it's God's authority. Nobody else can go against it's God's authority. The only thing we can use is another woman. Suddenly you want to be her protection. Suddenly you want to be understanding. Suddenly you want to be all that a good husband is supposed to be for the other one. Is everybody with me? I am giving you authority and you honor her. What does honor mean? To respect her. Woo, we're back to square one. You give her the respect that even though she has been created soft, she's been created for a purpose. You make her feel like rubbish. You talk down to her. You criticize everything she's doing. You tear her apart because she can't fight back. You yell and scream because it cripples her. When you yell and scream, uh-uh, 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 sorry, no can do. Uh-uh. You are messing with the wrong God and the wrong authority that has been given to you. You were not built strong to boss over your wife. You were built strong to fight other guys away from your wife. You were built with muscles not to show off to the women in the gym. You were built with muscles to pick up things for your wife. To help around the house. Show honor. It means value her. It means lift her up. It means support her. Stand up for her. Where she cannot stand, you stand up for her. You stand in front of her. You protect her. The image of a man that God has in his head and what original he, he designed seems to be a whole different from what we have made it today. That's the man God has designed. So you stand for her against anybody else, even your own mother. Even your own mother. Don't run away from when it's between mother and, 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 and wife. Don't run away from that fight. You stand and you protect her because that's how God wants you to submit. You ready for that? Singles, you want to go dating, is it? Go. Go. And after you've kissed and hugged everybody else's future wife, God will give you the godly wife that, that he has been planning and praying and working for you. You want to be an unworthy husband? You want to be an unworthy suitor? Let's close this. I think you're tired. Show honor and understanding why. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of God. Heirs with you of the grace of God. What does that mean? That means the grace of life, sorry. The grace of life is another phrase for marriage. That you have been given the grace of life. You and her together have been given the grace of life. That's marriage. But you are together heirs of the grace of life. So what are you inheriting from marriage? Inheriting means marriage is on earth. Your inheritance is in heaven, correct? Correct? What are you inheriting on earth and that's going, going to go into heaven? Your character. Your character. Men, listen to me very carefully, especially those of you who are not married yet. God is holding you responsible and God wants you to honor and protect her so that you pull off the greatest desire God has and that is to make her like Jesus. So God gives you authority so that you can shepherd her and your family to make them like Jesus. You can't pull that off without authority. You cannot pull that off authority. Here, here it is. A husband must meet God's assignment for her. A husband must meet God's assignment for her to inherit what comes from character building through marriage. He is responsible for her eternal perfection. Nobody on the face of the earth is responsible for your wife's perfection. That she should become like Jesus. You husband are responsible for that. I come after that. I'm the pastor. I come after that. 
I will only teach the word, but I will not husband your wife. A husband must meet God's assignment for her to inherit what comes from character building through marriage. He is responsible for eternal perfection. His authority, listen carefully, has been granted to him in order to support his assignment to nurture and pastor his wife and children in the holy faith. Nothing more and nothing less. That's why men have authority. If a husband has authority, it's to give, put God's authority down on earth, put his foot down on your in your family and say, this is how this family is going to run. This is how God's family is going to be. Wife, you're going to submit to how Jesus wants this family. Children, you're going to submit to how Jesus wants this family. Gentle, understanding, value, all put in place. A husband puts his foot down and says, Jesus is Lord of this home. Not me, not you, not anybody else. And for that, you have been given authority. Not to push her around and tell you to take her sock, wash your socks and, 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 and put up with your nonsense. Not for anything else. But for this purpose, you have been given authority. You want to know why, where I got that from? Here it is. He is called to lead her in Christ likeness and character, to correct and guide, to model and execute the Lordship of Christ in the home. So when it, turns to, when it comes to women, he gives a command. Be subject to your husbands. When it comes to men, he gives a threat. And when God gives a threat, you want to take that very, very seriously. Here it is. So that your prayers may not be, that's a very soft word that the English have translated there, hindered. The Greek word is cut off. Cut off. So that your prayers may not be cut off. That's a threat. God is saying, I give you authority in the home to love her, protect her, provide for her and perfect her. I don't want her flying off the handle. I don't want her to be a victim of her own emotions and her hormones. I want you to strip, to, to, to hunker her down. I want you to help her control herself and her thoughts and her emotions. I want you to bring her into submission in the sense that you help her not lose and just be, because women when they do that, after that they feel horrible about it. They feel horrible about it. And in that time when they have gone all nuts, they say things and do things. And when they say things and do things, later on they feel terrible about it. And you allowed it. When they were going nuts, you allowed it. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. Rubbish. Coward. Have the guts to walk into that storm with the authority that Christ has given you. Stop it. Stop it. Sit down. Stop it. You're going to be fine. Let me pray for you. Let's pray together. God's going to get you. God's got you. Words that come out of your mouth. Arms that reach around. Heart that goes out to understanding in an understanding way with value. With value. That's how Jesus treats the bride. That's how husbands are to treat the woman. If you don't do that, and if you abuse the authority that I have given to you, here's what I'm going to do. God says, if you don't love, protect, provide, and perfect her, if you abuse and, ab and misuse this authority, I will shut down communication with you and deny access, your access to the throne. I will disempower your authority. You get your commands, your marching orders for me, right? You hear from me and you take it forward, right? That's what authority has been given to you, right? I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to talk to you. Now you're just stuck with her voice and her problems and I deal with it. So in the first five, six, seven years of a marriage, a man has gone into the marriage as a romant romanticist. He's gone into the marriage as a lover. He's gone into marriage with all the unhealthy definitions of marriage. 
And all he wants at that moment to just keep the peace and be happy. And it's those years that are just detrimental and everybody's flying off the handle. And because you don't implement your pastoral duties in the first seven years, 25 years later, my brothers, my son, I'm speaking to you. I will give you a wife and she will be submissive because I've been working on her. I've been drawing her to a loss to myself. I've taught her to pray and I've taught her to be submissive. And pleased with her, I'm going to bring her, I'm going to give it to you. You will protect her. You will guide her. You will connect with her. You will value her. You will respect her. And you will perfect her. But I will give you a wife. And you have to be a husband. Here is a godly woman. She's a disciple. What will you do with her? I'm giving her to you for a lifetime. She's all yours. But you are fully responsible for her. Submit to this. There are no exceptions. Christ must be put on top in the face of pro a broken world, broken culture, broken character. Because you are the light of the world. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You have listened to the longest message of your life. In fact, it felt like your marriage. But say something to God. I'm tired too. I've preached twice. Say something to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Bless God. Thank Him. Just only He could have thought of marriage. It's His idea.